welcome abilasha we're thrilled to have you with us uh we didn't ask you to be on this podcast because of your stellar mba and academic records so on and so forth i asked you because you're an in- incredibly interesting person to have a conversation with so tell us who you are thanks uskarsh um so i'll actually begin by talking about the stuff that's not the usual um you know everyone talks about the professional and uh your different work achieve work focus areas so i'm essentially a traveler um i love traveling in my personal life i do a lot, you know that's that's one of the things that i do a lot to de stress i explore a lot um and that's essentially also the theme of my career um so i'd like to begin by sort of always calling myself a traveler and explorer i began i trained as an engineer um i went to iit delhi i trained as a mechanical engineer in fact uh did very little if anything related to it um but i think the one of the most interesting things that happened to me when i was in undergrad was that i decided to uh that i liked the intersection of technology and society and i liked things that were um cross cutting across different dimensions uh again i contrary to a lot of other people i didn't plan many things out um i live my life on hypotheses i like trying testing some things out and seeing if they work or don't because whenever i've planned something it hasn't worked out um so i like to try and like try and explore and like run different hypotheses i was very fortunate to get into um harvard's early admit program which is something where you get an admission in your final year of undergrad and that turned out to be transformational because it uh pushed someone who's very structure oriented into the world of startups um a social enterprise at that which is you know often i think um doubly hard um so i did that for 3 years worked at an educational social enterprise for 3 years did operations product design pedagogy had no background in any of these and i was essentially t- testing out hypotheses over there um then i went for my mba and over there again um, contrary to a lot of advice i didn't have a fixed path outside i knew i wanted to test a few things out which was did do will i enjoy working in a large company um how do you truly work in a very successful business that creates impact and um what is my definition of impact so a lot of these things came in um i eventually transitioned into doing innovation consulting where we really focused on um making companies relevant and stay relevant as they grow as they as technologies change and particularly in the spaces of healthcare and life sciences and that brings me to my current role um where i had um, strategy and business operations at a company that's building an ai enabled platform to discover cures to diseases it's you know it's a very circuitous path um people i would never have expected myself to be here um but i ended up coming here because i essentially kept trying different iterations out um and so i landed where i am today okay you called yourself a traveler yes. um was school also a lot of travel interestingly yes so uh my dad was in the railways um so we spent every break traveling i've probably been to almost every state in the country um and but so the, in terms of the actual physical movement it was a fair amount of travel um in terms of um um actual exploration i think it was you know i was very good at academics but i was fairly interested in public speaking in um in you know just the, in theater and that you know it was these two areas that i where i explored a lot 
uh, I think in de- school in school okay i think debating pushed me a lot because it it forced me to be able to hold two contrarian thoughts and think through how they make sense or they don't it helped me see the other point of view it helped me really challenge what i believe to be true and sometimes you know realize that even very provocative ideas can be defended logically mm-hmm. um so i think there the exploration was more you know in the mind um and but i think i'm very thankful for it because that's kind of one of the reasons why i have friends who are very different i have done things which are very different because i'm comfortable with holding ideas that don't seem to get along mm-hmm. so yeah I, i now that i you know now that i was thinking about it i do think some of that has to do with it um why when and why did you decide to pursue engineering so this one is probably one of the biggest clichés of my life mm. i didn't want to do engineering yeah um i was um someone who <clears throat> was very good at math and science but i didn't really want to do it uh you know and then i became once i started preparing for engineering i got competitive and i was like okay i mean if i'm doing it might as well do it well um I think I was fairly fortunate that I got into IIT Delhi which even though it's an engineering school is you know for an Indian school is fairly multidimensional. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extracurriculars happening and even within the academic there are a lot of open courses a lot of electives in humanities a lot of width of experience which helped me then make the most of it. Mhm. and in retrospect i think an engineering education gave me a certain scientific temperament which helped me in the long run but that was one of my prob- perhaps only conventional choices um that i've ever made so far what is the first day at iit like and how is it different from harvard business school's first day oh that, that that's a really good question um so the first day of iit was very um overwhelming it was um i sort of i remember my first class was in mechanics and i was pretty certain that it it would be very challenging for me to keep pace with the academic rigor and um but i sort of with the people i found it much easier i was like okay these seem very similar to the sort of um quote unquote background i had come from um Howard's first day was different because I don't think I ever was uncertain on whether I'd cope with it academically um but it was just a fairly transformational experience um I was you know the the uh, I was sitting next to people who I would never have met in a different life give me know? an example so the person who sat next to me had served in the US army for um 6 7 years I really don't think I ever thought I'd go to school with somebody with that background. Um and after the first few uh days and weeks took adjustment um and then over time I'm very grateful for it. Because mm-hmm. again it's not just a different educational perspective it's a different how do different people from different nations think about things how do people from incredibly different backgrounds think about things. Um so they were two very different experiences the first day at both those places. Walk me through some experiences at IIT Delhi which um, molded your thought process. Memorable experiences, challenges, sure. anything. I think the first one was an interesting one. That's probably the highlight of my time at IIT, and it has nothing to do with academics. Um, so I came from a. I had grown up in Delhi. I'd done a lot of debating at the school level, and when I got to IIT, I realized that because women were such a small share of population, uh, very few of them debated. 
and or over the last three to four years, there had become a culture where people assume that women couldn't debate. Um, I have heard that, I'm told that this was much better earlier, but there was this gap in between. Um, and I remember that in my first year, we had done this, we used to have these inter-hostel sort of championships and we were, because nobody in my hostel wanted to debate, we sent in a team of freshers, first years including myself and we won one match one debate and people were surprised and shocked mm. and i found that you know uh surprising but also a tad disappointing that people were just so sure that this couldn't happen uh in a very so who was surprised the guys or the girls or both everyone okay it just you just get used to a certain pattern when you see a pattern over a certain number of years you're like well you know we don't expect them to win. Mm -hmm. um and very ironically, in our second year, we put together a team of two second years and one first year. We again went in, into the, and we lifted the debating cup that year. That was the first time that I know of in IIT's so history. So your hostel. Yeah, um, in IIT's history, that, uh, you know, I think both uh, a women's hostel as well as such a young team had ever, like, lifted the um, debating uh, cup. And it was for me, it was almost a question of like, I think it's a question of like realizing how uh, how easy it can be to stereotype when you see a certain pattern. And um, also just like how much fun there is to prove that there, that may not be the case. Um, and I think that um, for me was very, that was one of the most transformational things in my life, just that ability to do something that people don't expect you to do. Um, and since then, I think, you know, as more and more people kept doing it, a certain momentum kept building. I don't think that today um, women who enter ever have to hear what I had heard. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully that momentum continues because I'm well aware that if that momentum breaks for enough number of years, we'll potentially be still scratch, starting from scratch. So that was definitely um, very, very... Um, transformational experience. So interesting you say that because uh, I don't know if you remember we discussed once expectations and performance are yeah. related. Yes. Uh, that's that's definitely the case. I think uh, sometimes, so I actually think of it in a very interesting way which is that if you, the joy is sometimes the difference between what you expect and what you get. I think that was so, uh, such a joyful event for us mainly because nobody, including ourselves, expected it. Um, so, and some of those people in that team, some of the people I'm really close to today who continue to be very dear friends are from that time because it was just such a momentous and transformational experience for us, even though it seems like a very simple sort of set of events. But it was truly transformational because we did something that no one expected us to do, including ourselves. Right. So, so this was one clearly, clearly. This was, yeah. Yeah. It was. And, uh, you know, in college, like when did you, when, what was the career thought process like? Because at IIT, you could have become a mechanical engineer, taken up a job in consulting. Sure. What, what was the unsanitized thought process when it came, came to careers? So um, I was, so I, again, because I had decided to do engineering following the group, I had decided to do consulting following the group. Uh, and in early fact, on? Like uh, probably in my probably third year, not very early on. 
um, I had done internships in engineering and realized I wasn't. A so very in first good. and second year, you've yeah. done some. And I realized I wasn't a very good fit for it. Um, Why is that? I um, so I think I truly wasn't that passionate. It didn't like keep me up at night. It didn't. It's not something that really impacted the way I functioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not. So then I had decided, and then I was going to do consulting. Um, and it was, in fact, one of the things that one of the biggest disappointments of my life that really made me think about my career. Hmm. So um, IIT has a, um, you know, has a uh, recruitment process, which has a day one where you have all the sort of top companies come in. And um, I remember I had shortlists for every company on day one. And then... Because um, you had good grades? I had, I had good grades. I had a good extracurricular trajectory i done lots of very diverse things you're a dancer as well uh yes i haven't done that for many years okay so that was way before college um but i had done a lot of debating i had done i reached to run the student mentorship program at iit so a lot of very different things there and um one of the things that um uh, i think for me that was one of the most biggest disappointments because i had never truly learned in all of these years to deal with pressure or expectation. So on. Tell the, me more. Expectations? No, you hadn't. I hadn't. I had sort of like in IIT when I got in. Uh, honestly, no one expected me to get in. Really? I didn't. I I only studied for one year, class eleventh. I wasn't studying. I was just like randomly. I don't want to do this. So nobody had ever expected me to get in. Your parents did they? Expect? They didn't. Okay. Uh, I didn't either. I think one of the jokes in our family is that when my rank came out, um, do you I remember was, the rank? I do. Um, it was thousand seven, and I remember we used to have those PCs at that time, mm-hmm. and I leaned close to the screen and I was trying to count the zeros because <laughs> I was convinced that it was ten thousand seven. Uh, wow! Really? It yeah, just wasn't under. Yeah, I I had prepared for barely 11 or 12 months. So your parents didn't put any pressure on you? They had zero expectations academically? They wanted me to do engineering, but they just did not think that I would get into IIT Delhi, like, or I would get a 1007 rank. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't something, like, they knew I had barely prepared in class 11. Right. Uh, So... Yeah, I think my best case rank was 3,000 or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, clearly go and count the zeros. Um, but um, so so then I really did not, I think I had often done well where people didn't expect me to do well. Right. So that was IIT, that was with debating. Mm. And then with day one, everyone expected me to, a lot of people expected me to land the first offer. You mean one of the management consulting yeah. banking? Yeah, and I had like I had shortlists in almost every company. I think almost all that I applied to, mm-hmm. and then I caved under pressure. Oh really? Right? Like I did not do well in my first interview. Are you comfortable talking about the, what happened? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think in many ways I put I saw this as the beginning and the end. For me, this was it, and then I didn't do well in the first interview. Um, and this was also very, you know, for those who aren't familiar, day one can be a fairly chaotic process because you're running from one interview to the other. You often don't have time to pause in between. Um, if pe- if a person has good resilience, they'll, you know, take a couple of bad performance in their stride and really bounce back. Um, I did not have the resilience at that time. right? Like, Is it because you had never failed? I think that's true. 
yeah. I had never failed. There was nothing that I had wanted and I didn't get. Uh, it was often like, I don't expect this would happen and something better happened. So I didn't truly have too many past examples of failure. Right. Um, so when so f- that was the first time you experienced something close to sure. a failure. Yeah. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't have the skill set. I didn't have the muscle memory to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you remember the interview? Ex- what was the physical experience like? Were you, did you s- sweat? Did I you did. Fumble? I was, I think it was just like, I didn't, I did. Oh, I just got nervous. I wasn't myself. Um, I felt like I had to be somebody versus being myself. Um, and I think I also felt like I put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm. So um, at the end of the day, I did land a job on day one and everyone was very excited, but it wasn't the company that, you know, I mm-hmm. may have wanted at that time. But for me, I think in, in retrospect, I think that was so beneficial because I was about 21, 22 till then. And I had z- literally zero muscles to deal with failure and i have seen people who have very similar experiences where they just don't know how to respond to something not going their way right um and the real world is much more as you grow older it's it's it happens much more often Mm -hmm. so you have to be in fact it's about it's you know truly people who succeed are the ones who can you know jump back up more number of times than they fall down yeah but it's not something that i had ever Till that point, had to. Experience. Who did you confide in, or who were you when you were grappling with a semblance of failure? Although people will question whether that counts yeah, as failure it, or not. It's but, all very relative. Yeah. I don't think it's a. Yeah. You know, I, I realize how um, how superficial it can sound to some and people. I, I didn't mean that. No, I, no. I'm just saying that failure is also relative. Sure, like, absolutely, yeah, and that's yeah, what I meant. Yeah. Uh, that it's like it can seem like, oh, you're really going to call that failure, um, but. Yeah, it was. I think for me, it was very much about I had mentors in my life, um, people who had been close to. I got a lot of perspective from them. Uh, One of the things that I did a lot at that point was I mentored a lot of students, um, you know, people who juniors, most juniors and did it in both like institutional and personal capacities. Um, I I mentored um, first year students who came into IIT with no backgrounds in English to study in a curriculum that was in English. Are there a fair bit? There's a decent number. It's not a very large one, but the exam, the joint entrance exam is in more than one language. So you could have done really well and gotten in and not be able to cope with the curriculum. It made me appreciate that everyone has their own battle. And truly, it's about like sort of rising up um, behind. So I think a lot of my experience having mentored people helped me get perspective on my life. Also get me get perspective of my own privilege. And that the things that were really that I was treating as life and death weren't life and death mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I had actually applied to, um, after that, I took a, spent a lot of time soul searching. Um, what did I truly want? And then... Um, after the day one interview. After the day one interview. And you had a job. I had a job, yeah. everything. And I was just like trying to soul search. And, try, and more than soul search, also develop a better internal capacity which didn't, wasn't influenced by what other people thought of me. Right. Um, that, by the way, continues to be a work in progress. Because if you've, quote unquote, achieved a few number of things in life, you start measuring yourself a lot against what other people think of you. Um, so uh, then I got into um, 
uh, Harvard 2 plus 2 and I had applied for a very different reason. I applied because the program seemed interesting. And so I, let's 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 do sure. go deeper in this. Which month was the job? Uh, was day one? This was December. December to, to 2011. 2011 December. And then uh, I believe the HBS 2 plus 2 deadline is around April. It's April. April's the last round. April is the last round. Yeah. So you got the job. Then what was going on in your head? You did some soul searching. How was, did MBA come into the mix? I think I knew I was sort of interested. Um, I had actually often aspired for the Kennedy School as just for some notional reason. You should tell people what the Kennedy the, School the is. The Kennedy School is the government school at, uh, you know, it focuses on government and public policy at Harvard. Um, I've just been fascinated by it. Um, it goes back to what you said. You were always interested in how society links yeah, with business and yeah. tech. Yeah. And uh, after that, I uh, heard about the Harvard 2 plus 2 from like, you know, my um, elder cousin. I had a few friends tell me about it. And I found it an inter- interesting program. First, I thought it wasn't real. Who gives an admission to a final year student into an MBA school? Um, my reason was actually very different from most people's reason. At that point, I really wanted to, I had never applied for a US school. I wanted to do that. Two, I wanted to try and test myself to apply at something where I had more odds of failure than success. Wow, tell me more about that. I, I knew that my, um, I knew that one of my biggest challenges had been that I didn't know how to deal with failure. So I wanted to push myself to try something out where I had much more odds of failing than succeeding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought it would be an interesting process. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So yeah, so day one, you had a job. Um, and then tell me, like, uh, what was the thought process? Um, so I think for me, I had a very different thought process about the two plus two than most people. Um, I had never applied to a school in the US. And I thought it would be an interesting muscle to build. Because I knew that in the future, I might be interested in doing that. The program also seemed really interesting. Uh, I partly didn't believe it. I was like, who gives an admission to someone who's in their final year? Um, and more importantly, I wanted to push myself to do something where the odds of failure were higher than the odds of success. Um, because if, if I had learned one thing from my experience on day one was the fact that I didn't know how to deal with failure. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like, and you know, honestly, I had very little to lose. Right. Things weren't going to, like, nothing was going to be very... In the beginning of the podcast, you also talked about uh, your fascination for society and business. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, you didn't feel like Kennedy then? I, I would have, I thought I would, you know, sort of, I could apply to Kennedy later as well. And I think for me, it was, I was still trying to explore what made sense for me. Okay. So I wasn't really like married to one idea at that point. And I think the program, the more I read about HBS, it started, started sounding like a very interesting place. Uh, business started sounding more and more interesting. Right. Um, so that's when I decided, so this, um, in January, I gave my GMAT. Um, I was still dilly-dallying. I wasn't very sure if I wanted to. So you to. took a date in December. That's an important step. Yeah. Right? Sometimes just taking a date makes you prepare. Yeah, I just took a date in December. I gave my GMAT in Jan. Um, it's a very good idea to give your GMAT when you're in college. You just have those muscles working. I had to do very little, if any, preparation. And that wasn't because I'm very smart or anything like that. It just, that was very much linked to what I was doing at that time. And December's many times off as well. Yeah. yeah. So that was a good time to that. I took my Jihari Chimat in fourth year as well. Yeah, it's just it's a good time to do it, yeah. right? You you're not you're not dealing with like a day to day job and all of that. And um then I actually I kept delaying applying 
So I only began applying on March 15th or 20th. So you were happy with your score, right? Whatever. Yeah, I was happy with my score. Yeah, I, what, what, what did you get? My score was 750 or 760. Okay. I don't remember, but I remember it. But was, on the higher side. It was on the higher side. Yeah. And um, I, kept, I kept procrastinating and going back and forth on should I apply or should I not, especially on what would it do to my confidence mm-hmm. if I didn't get in. Um, you know, but if, here you said that you wanted you. The odds were yeah, one of the reasons why you were. Applying. I did. So if I was equally fascinated and equally terrified That's of the prospect, yeah. which is why I kept going back and forth. Um, I finally decided to start writing my application on like March fifteenth or twentieth for an April tenth deadline. That is highly not recommended. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it. And then I submitted out my application on April 10th. So um, let's. So were you thinking from January to March, were you thinking about what you would write in your application? I wasn't. You weren't. I was doing a lot of soul searching, hmm. which by the way... Which is help, important, right? Which by the way helped me write the application in retrospect, but I wasn't thinking of it from the point of view of the mm-hmm. application. Hmm. I just spent enough time thinking about myself, hmm. which a lot of people don't tend to do. Hmm. You know, and uh, that actually, I think, leads to a more authentic voice, Mm -hmm. uh, both in your essay as well as in your interviews. But it wasn't intentional. Um, I think the great thing from the process is especially so at that time, um, the admissions process used to have four essays. And um, they were all about like your biggest failures, your biggest uh, successes. And, you know, very, um, they used to really make you think about your life. I loved that process. But it would have been super hard, especially the failure essay. Actually, it wasn't because by that time I had made a lot of peace with it. So it got me to a point where I was very happy. Ref- like I had reached a point where I could reflect on it from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was... And maybe you stumbled upon different failures that at that time didn't strike yeah, as failures. it didn't. And I think I, in fact, I don't think I wrote about my day one as one of those failures, which mm-hmm. seems interesting in retrospect. Uh, but I, um, I just like loved the process because it gave me a structured way to think about my life in a more holistic sense. And um, I, after I remember very clearly after I submitted, and one of the rare times in my life, I wasn't really concerned about the outcome. Mm. I was just very happy with what had happened. Like I felt like this was a great experience. I had learned a lot of things. And um, in the worst case scenario, if I didn't get an ad, you know, invite, this was still worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Yeah. This was worth it. So how did you go about writing the essays? Um, so I often, I started off with a very broad, I, you know, I rambled to a lot of people because I do, I think better when I speak. Uh, I heard there's my... A lot, there's a very interesting research on this. Really? Some people uh, think better when they speak. I, mm-hmm. I'm one of those as well. Some right. people think better when they write Interesting. and some people just think better when they sit quietly so, and do nothing yeah so so i was one of those people who did better i could like really get clarity when i spoke so i used to speak to people i, I spoke out loud to myself and recorded myself and then i um used to crystallize those into writing um i never sat down and wrote first time because um that was i was so not you'll find a friend talk to him or her about the thought process yeah and then think it through and write it 
uh, on a word talk. Yeah, and I would often record myself, hear myself back, mm-hmm. and really try and see what are the themes I was trying to highlight. Yeah, it's really an it's it's a discovery process. It's a discovery right? process. Like from the sound of it, like for for somebody seeing it, it can be pretty unsettling, right? It like is. What is she doing? It, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty yeah. odd. Uh, I was very fortunate to have like two or three close friends and mentors. I didn't have a very wide feedback loop. I had a very narrow and deep feedback loop which worked very well for me. Um, and I think eventually, I think I really liked where my essays had landed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a fairly similar exercise for the interviews once I got the admit, uh, the interview call. Yeah. Really. So who were your referees when you submitted? Um, so I had uh, uh, one of the referees was um, my uh, one of the professors, actually a professor from the humanities department who I had done a project with. I see. Which year um, did you do that project in? In my third year. I see. Um, elective project. elective okay elective project and um i used to um you know my other um reference came from my future boss who had also so i had volunteered with avanti fellows um and uh, he was one of my references so in undergrad you did volunteering yes. with uh, akshay yes. and uh, avanti akshay and krishna and avanti yeah. Yeah. and uh, akshay was one of my references mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, I, when I was graduating, they also were setting up the actual for-profit entity. Right. Um, and that was also my first job. Mm-hmm. Um, so Akshay was, yeah, Akshay had known me since I was an undergrad. So did you give points of reference to them or you just asked them to write whatever they felt so, like? Um, I think I, I think both of them knew me well enough and we had talked through our narrative. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, in fact, Akshay was one of the people who really helped me um, sharpen my own thought process. Mm-hmm. So they knew me very well. Right. And as a person, as, as a, a professional, person, as, as a, a volunteer. Everything. They knew me well. And uh, I completely trusted that what they said would be. They knew me well enough. We discussed it, but I didn't really need to tell them to highlight A or B. Hmm. Uh, that was because I had that kind of dynamic with both him yeah, as well as the yeah. professor. I think I've just found that to be such a such an important part of any referral or recommendation. Yeah. Uh, somebody who can really talk about you, yeah. not in generic platitudes, right. but okay, this is what she did here. Yeah. Or this is what how she thinks, like this is how she responds under yeah. pressure. I think that's such an important part. And even when you have to think about somebody... Uh, really higher up in the food chain who doesn't know you yeah. versus somebody who knows you very yeah. well and can add color to your application. I think you should probably choose the latter. Absolutely. I think it's uh, someone needs to know you more than a couple of layers deep. Yeah. Because uh, then they really talk about you, the person, and that there's a coherence that builds with the way you are reflecting yourself as a person in your essays and um, your interview. And that coherence is is my, is my best guess of what admissions committees look for right so yeah that, that that makes a lot of difference yeah how did it feel when you got the interview call and roughly when was that after submitting the application i think seven days later really yeah i think that's the last round okay i'd say april 17th yes april so for two plus two people have a window to apply or the last date is april and people can apply anytime no they can do they can in fact at that time they could do four rounds okay it used to be september uh, July, September, January, and April. It used to be. I know that's changed since then. Yeah. Um, April, the deadline was 10th, you know, give or take a day or two. And then April 17th was uh, the day you got your interview call. 
And I think I interviewed on May 10th or May 11th. And when were you graduating? I would imagine. Same time. Really? Yeah. I had my thesis presentation one day before my interview. Okay. So. So you got your interview call seven days hence. Uh, Were you surprised? Were you? Oh, I was very surprised. Hmm. I was very surprised. Uh, Actually, I I felt good about my application. Hmm. So I think thought I had done well. But yeah, I was fairly surprised. How many rounds of editing did you do before submitting your application? I'd say about 10, 15. 10, 10 15. 15. Really going through every comma, every full stop. Yeah. 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 So important. And then when you got the interview call, who did you call first? Um, I don't remember. It's been many years. <laughs> um, and how did you go about preparing? I think, again, I, I, I went back to the same people who had helped me early on. Okay. Uh, because they knew my story. Um, and I knew that essentially the thing that I needed to focus on was um, being able to, HBS has a 30-minute interview, um, very time-bound, and you have to be able to really give very precise answers. Um, So I spent a lot of my time preparing on cue cards, being able to say a really profound thing in your life in two to three sentences. As a (laughs) 22-year-old? And that's very hard. As a 22-year-old, you're used to rambling of much more. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't consist I wasn't concerned about coherence, consistency at all, because I had been incredibly authentic in my essay. Yeah. So there wasn't anything that I had like played up or played down or anything of that. But I knew I needed to get what something, if something meant really deeply to me, mm-hmm. try, being able to communicate that in mm. two to three sentences is harder than one would imagine. So how did the interview go on the D-Day? Uh, it was kind of interesting because there was a storm. And I was doing a Skype interview. So my biggest concern was if the internet would go off in between. What was Um, your plan of action? I was very close to the head of the board for student welfare, the professor who headed that at IIT. Um, He very graciously gave me access to his office, uh, which, you know, usually with the LAN and those offices had better quality internet. So Mm. I remember giving my interview from a professor's office, (laughs) which is a very unusual experience. so the interview technically went fine, like no internet surprises. No internet surprises. Yeah, no electricity it, surprises. Sometimes yeah, that happens as all well. All of that was possible ex- yeah. given it was very stormy outside. I had some of the nicest possible friends who were waiting outside. They're like, we have backup, you know, we'll figure something out. We have a dongle, we have two dongles and we'll figure something out. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of very interesting because those some of those people continue to be my closest friends today. Mm. Um, so yeah, the interview went well. I knew I was very happy at the end of the interview. Yeah. That was one of my biggest takeaways. Was, was it an alum interview or an admissions committee? Interview? No. So HBS doesn't do any alum interviews. Hmm. It's with the admissions committee. Um, and I felt like, yes, this was a good conversation. You know, I felt. What were they really trying to get out of the interview? I think they often like try and my, my best assessment is that they take four or five themes and then they try and see within each theme, they'll ask you two to three deep questions and try and see if, A, this is co- this is accurate and coherent, but is this person truly who they represent they are? Mm-hmm. And of course, HBS has clear pillars, which is around leadership, community engagement, and just trying to see if that adds up. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I think I had a very good feeling after the interview. Did you have time to ask the person questions? Not really. Okay. I think we have the opportunity to ask one question, mm-hmm. but that's about it. So at 30 minutes, they literally stopped it's you. It's at 30 minutes. They stopped you and then you concluded and you went away. Yeah. And then what happened? How many days after did you hear back? Uh, 
six days six days it's it's a very shortened process compared mm. to a lot of the other rounds mm-hmm. yeah i think it was me 17th or 18th and what is it was it must was it an email and a phone call or an, just, it was an email that year just an email not a phone call okay so how did you respond where did you open the email that was um yeah i still remember i had locked out all friends and family and told them i'm doing this on my own so um, you knew where roughly it was coming today oh, everybody knew the time okay you know exactly it's i think 12 noon eastern time or 12:30 so you know it's about 9 9:30 in india you know exactly when it's coming you just keep refreshing your browser hmm. um the thing that i remember with were you refreshing your browser the day that your iit results came out as well oh yeah okay so you you had a nag you thought you will get in you thought um for iit yeah i think it was more like i knew i would by that time i knew i would get in yeah. the rank was the surprise all right got it uh and uh, and were your parents around when you were checking your iit no i i don't let any but if they around me they have to be outside okay so they were outside and same for hbs same as well same for hbs so they were waiting outside and yeah. then then what happened It's kind of interesting because they don't send you the answer in the email; they send you a link. Hmm. So then you click on the link, and then you have to put your login details, yeah. which seems like it's so counterintuitive, right? And it's also <laughs> very—it uh, just builds up, heightens your emotions. Hmm. Uh, so the, I don't know. The first email is that your result has been updated. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you're and like, you're... <laughs> um, why couldn't you just list it yeah. here? Yeah. Um, that was my very clear memory, and then you log in, and then. the only line i really remember reading because they have it probably in like caps is the answer is yes um and then then there's a very beautifully worded letter um and um yeah that's that was it i think one of the biggest joys personal joys of my life is that my um uh, late grandfather at that time was suffering from parkinsons and mm-hmm. wasn't very lucid mm. uh but he uh, wanted a print out of that letter mm-hmm. and when he read a print out of that letter it was one of the few last you know very lucid moments for him wow that he was very aware of what he was reading mm-hmm. so that letter means a lot to me beyond just the significance of what it did but yeah. the significance of what it meant to uh people in my life yeah so he insisted on getting a print out of that and he used to keep that print out next to his bed you know on his bed stand so that i think uh, is a very strong sort of memory i have associated with that so you you got the mail yeah how did you feel inside what was how did you process this i was just um i was euphoric um and how did you express your euphoria i i'm not a very expressive person so it wasn't like i was doing anything i was just like very happy mm-hmm. um i think i had you know tears of joy um and um yeah i think i i had friends who had been pinging me the same friends who had stood outside the door with dongles mm-hmm. were like so tell us tell us so they weren't applying for the same program they had not applied for okay. the same program um so uh yeah that was it and then um and was, so you stepped out of your home or hostel where this was home This was home. this was after IIT had finished we okay. were sort of yeah we had just finished our exams it was a very everyone was very relaxed right we were wrapping up college so um, in your controlled tears of joy euphoria you yes. finally opened the door and yes. then who was outside uh it was my parents okay um and my younger brother all right and uh, they were also excited i can imagine much of been super special it was a, it was a very special day in fact i am i'm thankful for having getting a chance to recall that in this podcast Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. a beautiful memory. That's what we hope to, uh, you know, yeah. dive deeper into. Great. So now let's uh, 
Now you've processed the information, you've got into HBS, you set for two, three years, you, that's the rough uh, timeline you have. So what options did you consider? So I was, um, I was very, um, at that point, I was just wondering, so I knew that I wanted to do, I, I was actually debating between whether I want to do something unusual with mm. that time, really test some things out, or if I wanted to go back to the beaten path. Or take that day one job yeah that was the beaten path as well as like maybe again reapply to the firms that had turned me down mm-hmm. uh, and that was a you know very real temptation that was the push that i got from a lot of why people. um why was that a temptation uh, because that's i had grown up following very safe paths but let me ask you look basically um Peter Thiel says it, that education has largely become an insurance policy. Right. Now, you got the highest insurance possible. Why still seek more insurance? I think that's a pattern phenomenon. So, uh, two plus two is across the world do very unconventional things. Uh, People across the world who get admitted into Harvard, but that's not the pattern in India. In India, even people who've done the two plus two have typically done fairly quote-unquote more traditional things. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to, you know, you're just like, at that time, you're too young. And you think that the more insurances you can grab, the better. Um, you kind of forget that that may, that may mean that you're not pushing yourself enough. You're not taking enough risks. Um, thankfully, I didn't do that. Um, instead, I joined as employee number five at a company that was still being incorporated. Um it was something that nobody assumed I would do. Mm-hmm. I was a much more, you know, middle of the road, conventional, very structure oriented person. And trying to go for a startup really pushed my boundaries of being able to deal with ambiguity, really punching above my weight, uh, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Um, and I'm eternally grateful for that. Because mm-hmm. had that not happened, I would have done well, but I would never have built these other types of, you know, skill sets, uh, ability to explore where there's a lot of, you know, that that would have not really happened. Right. To be fair, a lot of, in a very valid response to this is you had one of the best insurance policies in the world. Agreed. But it just, it's it's all relative. You can always do more, right? Yeah. You can never be used. Too insured. You can never be too insured. Yeah. Uh, but this is such a profound irony that I find uh, yeah. that even people who work at the best of companies, best of, yeah. get into the best of schools, still face that nagging yeah. voice. Yeah. Later, you know, you need more insurance. You need more insurance. In fact, my hypothesis is the more you're used to it, the more you crave it. The more you crave it. Jhumpa Lahiri in one of her books, uh, have you read some yes, of her books? Yes, I, I, I read uh, do, do you remember that sentence that... Uh, Indians have a perpetual fear of disaster. Yeah. She was talking about her parents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I do think there is something true about this, right? Our, you know, we grew up, I mean, I, I was born in 1990. This was just pre the liberalization. Uh, we grew up in a very different country. We grew up, um, you know, in fact, we are just, we represent people in this age group, represent just one generation which saw a changing India you know, from a more closed economy to an open economy, the volume of your opportunities went through the roof. Even today, people, when I see five, six years younger, they're taking far more risks yeah. than I people in my age group took. And that's more than previously. Yeah. yeah. So I do think some of it had to be the changing times. Yeah. 
uh, and I'm very optimistic about this, the fact that people are doing and trying and being more. Sure. Um, let's explore this insurance policy a little more. Sure. Do you think in retrospect that getting into top business schools is an insurance policy or was an insurance policy for you? I know that wasn't the case, but uh, walk me through the insurance, the experience plus sure. exploration in business school. I um, I will be very honest. I think it's an insurance policy. I, I think it will always be an insurance policy. I'm not sure when I applied, I had no intention of making it one. Um, the odds of getting were in were close to zero. So really no intention. But I'm very grateful and aware of the privilege that comes with having an insurance policy called a Harvard education. I'm not going to deny that. I think the question is, what do you do with that insurance? Right. I think and then we'll come to that later. But I really think that if you have insurance, if you have a safety net, instead of trying to grapple and trying to get more insurances, I think, in fact, you should probably try and do more things because you have something to fall back yeah. on. Like give insurance a chance. Like give take insurance risks. a chance. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think and unfortunately, it's often counterintuitive. You often you almost end up wanting to do more, which is get hold more insurance. Hmm. Um, but let me begin with the MBA. So um, I spent three great years at Avanti and uh, I did, you know, roles. I For me, it was very... For our non-Indian yes. uh, counterparts, could you explain in a sentence what Avanti sure. is? Uh, so Avanti was a, is a social enterprise that is um, was really focusing on scaling an affordable, high quality science and math model across the country um, using technology as an enabler, not a replacement for teachers, but an enabler. Um very good experience for me because I worked um, not just, I mean, so the, the different functional things are one part of it. It forced me to work in geographies I wasn't familiar with. Um, I joke that I had lived in Delhi all my life, but I didn't know Delhi beyond a Connaught place because mm -hmm. I grew up in South Delhi. And I saw a lot more. Mm -hmm. I saw very different places, both in Delhi and across the country. It, it changed my perspective. It also gave me a very real perspective of what it means to build a company bottom up, especially if you care about impact, um, about making sure that your education, the, the model helps students learn better, especially if you care about the net good being created. That is an added sort of, it's a very real experience. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, easy to romanticize it, but it's very, very, it's, it takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears to be building it, you know, bottom up. And, you know, I'm you were employee number five. Yes. And I'm also very proud of how the fact that the company continues to grow. Even today, it's in like every, it's in so many different cities across the country, um, in places you, cities you wouldn't have heard of. So that for me, I think just like mm -hmm. takes is, is a very real experience. Mm. Uh, so then when I was going for my MBA, by then, I think interestingly enough, I'd actually, uh, you know, I had, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid. I really did think businesses could, you know, business was an interesting thing to explore mm -hmm. and go further into. Um, I went into the MBA with trying to test out a few different hypotheses. Sure. Um, I didn't have a clear outcome in my head. People are very clear, like, about which company they want to transition into. I didn't have that clarity. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to try out three or four different things. 
Um, Even from the beginning, like the, we just when you're entering yes, HBS, you I wanted was, to try, try out. I knew four. I had three three or four hypotheses to test out. Do, do you remember what they were? Um, not all of them, but one of them was I wanted to work at a large company and try and see do I like working there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to um, see where in the tech space, if at all, was I interested, and I wanted to try and see to define what impact means for me and where i wanted to work in terms of like a business that does very well financially and generates impact those were three of the hypotheses i was testing out and um, more important and of course I, i had a certain set of skills to build i had almost no business background i didn't know an income statement from a balance sheet um so clearly there was a lot of like skills to build um and uh, one of the things that i had become very clear um very even in my first job was that i cared more about who i work with and what sort of an environment i work with than many other things and you know we were fairly fortunate that the career services makes you do a lot of assessments and a lot of those self assessments pointed to the same direction that that was a very important i couldn't agree more who you work with is probably the most defining indicator of your happiness yeah. your growth so critical and um for me it just it can make a break a job basically it can yeah um it's not something we are very aware of mm. just after undergrad doesn't seem like an important metric but it is um and uh, so yeah so i think i spent the two years um very much trying i think one of the things that worked well for me was the structure of the mba at harvard uh the first year is required curriculum so you just get an exposure to all the sort of basics of accounting finance strategy marketing um you know leadership and ethics a broad spectrum of things and the second year is purely elective curriculum so you choose what you want to do um and that blend worked really well for me because the first year really helped me hone skills that i had for, that had been an aim for me as someone with a non business background and uh, the second by that time i was more familiar with the lay of the land i'd already started pushing some of my hypotheses forward and by second year i just felt much more better placed to make the choose the different courses hmm. um so that spectrum worked i loved the case method mm-hmm. i couldn't speak more highly of it uh it also comes from my own previous what is the case method for um, the uninitiated right the case method is a method where you essentially take a business scenario in the form of a case and this could be across any sort of course like strategy marketing finance and you really analyze that case from the method of a business leader you as a class of 90 are going to debate the pros and cons um of a certain scenario decision that a business leader needs to make and it's a very representative sample of what the real world looks like so a question could be um should you know xyz you know ceo look at expanding in asia or not and it's a very it's it, it there's information but there's limited information hmm. in order to really like life like life hmm. it's it's deliberate um so that's number 1 it's limited information number 2 it focuses in on making you realize that there is no right or wrong answer mm-hmm. there are clear trade offs and you need to live with the trade offs of the decision you made but there are no right or wrong answers right this can be incredibly frustrating as well 
because if you come from a that's very... why the it depends is such a popular phrase it is yeah. it depends is um, so if somebody asks what do people think about the case method my response would be it depends mm-hmm. depending on what your perception of the method is i was completely a fan from day one and that was linked to the fact that i had worked in education so i was convincing i was convinced that the right way to teach people is to get them to engage with the content yeah um instead of being lectured to content and context as and well context, uh. and context as well and just like making sure that you engage with it instead of passively listening to mm-hmm. it and so so uh, your first year was all requir- required yeah. curriculum and then you, you did you do an internship at the I end i did i mm-hmm. did an internship at amazon mm-hmm. uh, which was in a, seattle in seattle mm-hmm. which was a very interesting experience i got a chance to work at the intersection of the um, fire tv as well as hmm. the alexa hmm. and uh, it was a super interesting experience i also saw it was like it, that was the point where amazon was really like picking up steam mm-hmm. this was 2016 so very interesting to see how the different teams functioned how they interacted with each other what were the dynamics at play um i think and overall for me it was a great learning summer but also one that pointed me to the fact that i probably don't enjoy large companies mm-hmm. as much as i enjoy smaller setups right and that was just a personal sort of realization yeah. of where i wanted to go after that right um so and i think that i would encourage for anyone the way you think about internships internships are very good low risk areas to test out a certain hypothesis yeah, yeah. um and for me that was really helpful the only way to really know whether you like something or not is to do it or yeah. conduct micro risk experiments yeah. for sure and i have uh, and i think for me that was amazing because it i i still think amazon is one of the coolest companies in the world but it for me made me realize that i actually like working in smaller setups yeah and that was a very good sort of indicator where your effort to impact ratio is yes. higher yes yeah that that's actually very well articulated that's that's exactly what i you know um what i realized i like Yeah. So um post Amazon came back to college, came back with more insights that yeah. there's a particular way you lean uh more. Then um, how was second year like? Uh, so second year was an incredibly interesting experience um mainly because I was doing courses across a wide range of things that I'd already decided I wanted to experiment with. Um <clears throat> so I had a I think one of the things that I can't recommend you know enough for MBAs is please do courses which are on quote unquote soft skills. Mm-hmm. Right. Um And this is coming from somebody who's already strong in soft skills. Yeah, I I mean arguably that was something that I felt like mm. I had often had, you know, spent a decent amount of time in even earlier but um some of those just doing it in a right classroom environment with a really interesting peer group can be life changing. Um I did amazing courses on authentic leadership development which is very much on an introspection on your leadership style and what makes sense for you. Right. Um negotiations uh which started off as my waterloo i found it very difficult to negotiate in a personal context and i deliberately pushed myself to take that course tell me more because uh, i would be surprised if you would not be good at negotiation a lot of people have that response yeah um and i think but you said in a personal context yes. so tell me more about what um, you meant so i think i can um I think I can negotiate for somebody else for a company or an entity or some colleague or even for that matter advocate for somebody else um having you know maybe just given my own 
you know, the way I grew up, it almost felt like, could you really assert and negotiate for yourself? Hmm. Like, is that a nice thing to do? And by the way, not a, not, not a lot of people admit this, but this is a challenge that a lot of people face, um, especially women, hmm. where you're more uncomfortable asserting and, you know, asking or slash even. But for me, I think the bigger realization was that negotiation, a good negotiation isn't actually a win and a loss. Mm-hmm. It is a sum total of an increase in value for both parties involved. Mm-hmm. If you really negotiate the right way. Yeah. If people think of it as a hundred a pie of hundred and one gets sixty and one gets forty, for me, what was really insightful is that if you negotiate well, you could grow that pie to a two hundred. Right. And um, then you know you see how you split it up. Yeah. Or you think about um, how negotiation, how every interaction in life is often a negotiation. It is. It's not yeah. a professional thing. It's you know you negotiate with your auto wala. Yeah, or you know, your deadlines, yeah, or, or with uh, yeah, with your parents on some things. And yeah. I think also knowing what is your, you know, what is your ceiling, uh, what is your floor, understanding those in a more sort of um, rational context, just makes brings to life things you are already doing. You already do these things, uh, you just don't know you're doing them. Uh, it makes you more aware of mm-hmm. how you think and people think. Um, and also the role emotions play in negotiations. It's an incredibly, like, it can be an incredibly emotional experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. So negotiations, again, can't emphasize soft And skills. how much manipulation is possible in negotiations? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that one should, I took away is that it's it's fairly easy to manipulate people if you understand what their triggers are. Yeah. And it's very important to be careful with that. And think about a scenario in which... AI is you know, yeah. fairly well spread. How much and how at what levels can you trigger? Yeah, because yeah. you can see the patterns, yeah. right? So it's very important. Um, so that was really transformational for me. Um, I also would encourage people to do courses. I personally did courses and things that I just had a sort of gleaming interest in, but wasn't very sure what I was doing. Um, I, was, um, I did a course called Building Life Sciences Businesses. I was probably the only person in that class of 50 or 60 who did not have a prior background in healthcare, did not have a PhD in biology, did not have an MD degree. Um, so I was literally the noob of the class. And it was a business school class? This, this was one? a business school class. I see. But there was a lot of cross-registrants mm-hmm. as well as a lot of people even at Harvard have PhDs and MDs in their background or are joint degree students. Um, and that was transformational. Because very surprisingly, that's a zone that I found which sort of intersected with a lot of my interests. Wow, it's so surprising. What what even prompted you to take that? Just curiosity? I had always been curious about healthcare because I saw some similarities with uh, education. You know, large existing um, rigid structures, um, a lot of role of, you know, actual dynamics between, you know, stakeholders um, and just truly, you could make the world a better place. Yeah. In, you know, in theory. Mm-hmm. And um, in the class, did you feel a little bit disadvantaged because you didn't have the context that others had? Initially, yes. Like, you know, I went into the class not knowing what, 
you know what the f- different stages of a drug development process are mm. i didn't know what a payer or provider was mm-hmm. and that's you know just for breaking it down a payer is an insurance sort of thing and provider are your hospital systems right. i didn't even have that knowledge mm-hmm. i thought i mean i was just enjoying myself because i asked the most basic questions on earth mm-hmm. i was approaching it from first principles which actually in retrospect the professor also told me led to really good conversations that's really interesting because over yeah. time you end up assuming things as the default but you don't realize how that's actually a bias mm-hmm. that you just got used to expecting that to be the case right it was a very interesting case where i was the only person who voted yes and everyone else voted no mm-hmm. or the reverse mm-hmm. but i remember because that was the time the professor was like hey i'm going to call upon you because you're the only person who voted one way mm-hmm. um this was something and were you able to defend your uh, thought I think I could. I think most people got it. They were we were discussing about doing clinical trials in African countries. Um and I was approaching it from a very first principles point of view and I think it was an interesting conversation because I got their point of view of why the industry needs to do certain things mm-hmm. and they got my point of view of how it can seem unusual if yeah. you think about it from mm-hmm. first principles. What are first principles? Um where you just break it down to if I often think about it if you had to explain this to a child mm-hmm. or if you had to like break it down for what it means and you just strip it of all the jargon what does that mean Mhm uh get down to very sort of is this a transaction that's creating value for both people yeah. who gets more value so getting it down to just stripping it off a lot of the jargon that we get used yeah, to Yeah um so that was a very transformational course for me um because after that i um you know i really thought that i wanted to pursue an interest in healthcare and life sciences further um and that sort of translated into um my first job how did that happen so i was um so i i actually at that point again did not after my internship at amazon was trying to figure out what i wanted to do mm-hmm. um how exactly does one figure that out uh what i um what one wants to do i think you talk to a lot of different people mm-hmm. uh i think one of the things and go to them with good questions with good sp- specific questions yeah uh not like what should i do with my life yeah i think that's not a conversation that's not a helpful it's conversation it's not a helpful conversation you're right yeah. but really about what do you do what is it that you like or not don't like what allows you to succeed here yeah what is a challenge like ask them questions they can answer or how do you spend your day i how love you spend asking your that day? that's a phenomenal question yeah. uh what does it take to what does it take for a person to succeed here who succeeds here yeah you know you'll see patterns there. yeah yeah who enjoys this work especially in large companies you know right. there are particular types of, of people, people who have a very clear advantage over absolutely other kinds of people and i think i often ask the question who enjoys this work yeah who really enjoys it like what's the personality type that you seem to notice hmm. really enjoys it yeah yeah um i think you can also get more professional help mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time with career coaches mm-hmm. um who were again, at, the, at the business school at the business school yeah. these were people who had you know been industry veterans they took out time to do a counseling you know coaching session with yeah. you again my takeaway from that was you drive the session yeah you go in with your questions yeah, yeah. they're not going to drive it for you yeah yeah because they can't give you generic gyan and i think it's so important that um, students young professionals learn to drive conversation yeah. because that requires preparation it requires preparations it yeah. requires having narrowing it down to asking two or three questions yeah 
gone gold. And synthesizing. What synthesizing. are you really trying to get at? Yeah. Right. If you go like, what is this company about? That that answer is available yeah. online, and yeah. I think it's not in your interest, not in the other person's interest. So I think spot on. Um. So I um. So I decided that I probably did not. You know, I was looking at smaller setups. I wanted to look at innovative interesting things i was looking at it from very i was i think it was very interesting by very early on my exploration i came up um, across a boutique firm called innersight mm-hmm. um innersight um was founded by clayton christensen who is a professor at harvard and he's very well known did you get to take one of his classes i had actually not taken his class which okay. was very interesting i heard him speak many times and i planned to take his class in the second semester mm-hmm. but something happened before that um mm. i got a job at innersight so i decided mm. that i will not um mm. I actually wanted to keep the surprise on. And at that time, was visa a challenge or? Visas are a challenge. So clearly, your options are narrowed in on with companies. You have that an sponsor. OPT there. That you do have of, an OPT, yeah. but you'd want to look at employers. For with. others, it's optional practical training yeah. where after graduating, you get one year or three years if you're a STEM yeah. degree person. Yeah. And um, I think so. With Innersight, it was very interesting because I was very intrigued by the work. They do a lot of work on innovation, especially how large companies need to keep innovating. Mm-hmm. and how do they innovate how does a large ship keep responding to very the changing dynamics in the world mm-hmm. you know um and but i didn't at that point i was like do i want to do consulting i wasn't very sure hmm. um how I, did you get that job so i the innersight comes on campus okay. they float an opportunity i have to give enough credit to the role interviewers hmm. and an interview process plays mm mm-hmm. I have never been in more love uh, I've never been more in love with an interview process than in a site than in a site okay um I really enjoyed my first inter- you know the conversation with my first interview I Why? felt what was it like it felt like a conversation hmm. she wasn't trying to trip me over hmm. she wasn't trying to like she just wanted it she's like this is a scenario this is what we deal with let's work as if we were colleagues hmm. Uh, interestingly enough she's a very close friend today really um she was my mentor and then after you know we both left the company at a similar time and now we're still in touch and very good friends right um and did you get to work with clayton no he he's not involved so much in the day to day he really mm. gives the broader strategic mm-hmm. direction but you get to interact with him yeah. um i've always enjoyed listening to him yeah and it's yeah. a very powerful message for the large companies mm. of the world who are mm. facing so many of these disruptive threats from new technologies new startups and just how do you keep innovating i think some of those lessons are very relevant for human beings as well for sure yeah you have to keep iterating and um, i think the you know, the interview process also involves um, working with your co-interviewees mm-hmm. so you work together on a Very interesting. Instead of competing, and for me that philosophically really resonated with me. I love the day on site, um, and at the end of it, I was like, I really wish they make me this offer because mm-hmm. I loved interacting mm-hmm. with these people. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got an offer, it was almost a no-brainer. So that's where you joined. That's where I joined. Um, I spent a really good, you know, year or so there, which was. um very um i focused on healthcare and you know a lot of even at innosight yeah and that was chance innosight does a decent amount of healthcare work mm. and i was like oh this already seems interesting let me sort of pursue this mm. bit more and this was in boston this was in boston got it yeah uh and after that um i think i had already started you know i really enjoyed my time there but i had already started realizing that i wanted to uh a find something that allows me to be in india or closer to it and be why uh, 
that just had been a long term goal to be be close to home yes yeah um and to still keep traveling and working in different mm. places but to feel like that was possible oh. and in many ways again it's not just your own choice my h1b didn't come through mm. in the lottery um if it if it had come through i would have definitely stayed with the firm for a few more years in a site in a site yeah. and would have sort of you know taken that decision a few years later because mm-hmm. i really enjoyed the people i right. worked with really right. enjoyed the work but when it came to it didn't come through i was i had the option of either moving to other offices and trying to see if i could get back to the us or really trying to see if i want to do something else sure and at that point again i realized that i wanted to take the plunge to see what it means to move to india hmm. uh because for a lot of people you end up you know postponing when you move hmm. and then you never move yeah it gets harder as you stay longer and um so i had again known of the company my current um uh, employer which is a startup called elucidata and like i mentioned we are working on building an ai enabled solution in order to help early stage drug discovery um so again i, I also want to emphasize the power of networks i already knew one of the co-founders from my time at iit delhi mm-hmm. his from co- iit delhi from iit delhi okay um and his co-founder was based in cambridge hmm. and we had met a few times even when i was in i see working so this is an indian co-founder yes so okay. the company is founded by um two indian one in you know somebody who lives in india as well as somebody who is an hmm. indian origin person who lives in the us hmm. and i had met i obviously knew um co-founder based in india from my time at iit mm-hmm. and i had met his co-founder who lived in cambridge when i was living there mm. so i already knew about the company mm. and i was super excited by what they were doing mm. um if you live in boston and if you have any interest in healthcare you just you get like super excited about this space mm-hmm. you know uh this is this is a life changing space you could ideally find cures to diseases that um don't exist and data is transforming it or has the potential to transform it mm-hmm. and um it you know it was really aligned to and again i want to point to serendipity yeah um i chose the course that got me interested i continued speaking to my friend who i known from iit who had started this company who was also a colleague at avanti so really just to make wow. sure that all this of this is, is interrelated this is beautiful um, how dots connect such a mystery dots connect yeah. um and um, i had yeah and then by then i had also continued focusing on healthcare and i had gotten further interested in this space because of my work at innosite mm-hmm. so all of these lead somewhere and um Yeah that's where it was and then I decided that this is great because this is very much line in line It's a fusion of all your interests and, yeah Yeah and also testing if I can go back to the exciting world of startups again Yeah um so that's that's what brought me where I am today Perfect You know we just uh, coming towards the close of this interview yeah. it's been fascinating by the way Just any like uh, parting career thoughts for our uh, for our community Yeah, I think one is uh don't think of anything being life and death. Of if you do this, that's the only way you get to do why. People's paths are very different. Um so sure, I think it's good to talk to people, get as much information as you like, but you can't replicate someone else's path. Yeah. It's not even helpful. Yeah. You might find something very different. Um and do is and this is some this is coming from someone who's still building it build the muscle of failing mm-hmm. because you will have to fail yeah. at some point or the other yeah 
So yeah, I think it's something I continue to do and I can't emphasize enough because yeah. a lot of folks who've achieved, you know, in different setups, they struggle the hardest to fail. Yeah. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank This you, podcast will go out to thousands of people around the world. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks.